0: On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I have someone that actually can talk ball with us. We have Kevin Clark, formerly of the Ringer, now of ESPN and Omaha Networks, and we talk about some really interesting subjects, sort of like the evolution of analytics and passing and whatnot is happening right now, what the future of the NFL looks like. We talk about why Chip Kelly failed. And why Joe Burrow might continue to struggle, so with that let's start the process. Bet bet,
1: bet, bet, bet the process. Bet. Bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a town with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of massy Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is
2: pathetic. This episode of Bet the Process is, is, is sponsored by Hull Tactical. It's our first time being sponsored by anybody, Jeff. How do you feel about it? I'm
0: pretty excited just because it's a really relevant and important sponsor. Jeff, do you play the markets? I
2: don't really. I don't try to. I have all my stuff in very passive accounts. I mean, we've all heard that market timing is kind of a fool's errand, right? I mean, that's what I've always heard. That's what I've heard too. But but Hull Tactical actually doesn't believe that. Hull Tactical says that there are edges to be found via market timing. Um, They're an independently privately owned firm focused on quantitative asset management. Their approach to investing is rooted in the recent explosion of data, combining macro and technical indicators to realize a risk return profile superior to a buy and hold strategy. Hull believes market timing is not only possible, Jeff, but necessary to adapt to a changing investing environment and provide long-term appreciation regardless of the direction of the broader market. For more information on Hall Tactical, you can go to
0: halltactical.com, and you can also listen to an interview with the CEO Petra Bakasova, which will run at the end of each episode. You can hear little tidbits of wisdom from her. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where Rufus and I did an interview already that I was really excited about. So we have Kevin Clark on today um i, I feel was even like more he's excited, pretty mainstream yeah. for us i know it's it's funny because i don't know are we excited like i i didn't really like listen a lot to him before and like i listened to prep for this and he's very impressive so, good. so i and mean he, he's
2: it'll... the one guy he's the one guy that i would listen to like every week back when i was listening to things <laughs> back when but, you i mean his, listened... his podcast with robert mays i i love that that was that was my like weekly nfl content that i consumed yeah, well we shouldn't talk too much about this cuz
0: this is what we usually do at the end of the podcast, but how are you doing Rufus? How has your college football been so far and
2: your NFL? We had um we had a winning week in college football last week, so that was nice. Congratulations. Um and thanks for our, sharing your picks. Our circa millions picks went we we didn't actually bet any um NFL sides before uh or we I haven't had stuff up early in the week enough for me to feel like good about betting it but but massey peabody had a very good week i'll say that um the circa millions picks were i think like we had three tie. no who did you have saints that tied but basically i think we were um like went like 20 wins like three losses and two ties or something like that maybe it was like 18 three and two but there was a point when we nice. didn't have any losses and that was nice. And that wasn't that wasn't right at the beginning. We had we had Do a little bit of who you played? played that lost um and we had the Falcons that tied but aside from that it was I think the Patriots might have been the only loss there. Got it. We had Rams, I mean we had all the teams you'd expect, right? Rams, Bucks, Ravens, Seahawks. Uh we did not have Seahawks. We didn't have anything that mm-hmm. game. I can find you find my little sheet that has it all.
0: Oh, probably because the line moved down that that you got. Well, it's it's the game. contest
2: line. So okay, so we 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 took sure. some Falcons because we wanted that wasn't a nasty anybody pick or anything. That had some line value based on the contest line, and we had Titans, which also had some value due to contest line, but also I liked that one a lot. Yeah, Titans, Bucks, Rams, Ravens. We sprinkled in some Cardinals, some Patriots, and some Saints. Those were the sort of ancillary ones that had we had a game or two on those. Got it. And we went, um, I will say, I, I want to do a victory lap for my survivor picks, though, because we went with the Cowboys for five entries and the Bucks for four. And <clears throat> I modeled based on week one. I modeled um, people's picks or, or the what percentage um, of the entries were on each team as a function of the future value of the team and then the price for the game and then some other stuff. Well, future value, like team strength, and also like whether they're playing on Thanksgiving week or Christmas and Christmas day, which are separate weeks. So there's value to saving those teams. And basically, I correctly projected that the Bills and the Giants would be the most heavily owned teams. And so I thought the bill, I had the bills at 27% and the giants at 22%. And it ended up being 40% and 17%. But the Cowboys had just as large a line as the bills. And I got them at only 11%. And I got the bucks at like 2%. So, I mean, of course the giants did win. The bills did win, but I zigged when people zagged and that's, that's all I can control. Good process. Uh,
0: They, I think the, Bucks is a really, I mean, obviously in hindsight, it, it sounds great, but I think it was a really good one because ultimately it seems like the bears are a team that generally like right now people are probably at least in going into last week, maybe even underrating how bad they are. <laughs> Cause they don't seem like they're very good.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it was more, that was a game that I really liked and I didn't think a lot of other people like it. And, and it's, I mean, but of course it's, it's a brisk, because they sure. but they were two and a half point favorite, but, you know, no risk, okay. no biscuit.
0: We now welcome in to the Bet the Process podcast a legitimate NFL expert, prog- you know, not prognosticator, but um, personality, uh, Kevin Clark. Kevin, thanks for joining us.
3: Personality over expert is is a great way to describe it.
2: <laughs> um, podcaster, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. Analyst, podcaster. Pro- prognosticator is probably last on, on the list, but it's somewhere on there.
0: It's just a really fun word to say, prognosticator. I just like saying it. But it about, can also
3: mean anything. Like It could mean, like, what are you exactly predicting? You can pro- prognosticate anything.
0: Yeah, I'm predicting that their sun will rise tomorrow. 100% yeah, on
2: that so far in my there life. There you go.
3: Somebody yeah. will take the other side of that bet. The odds are good enough.
2: 10,000 to one, I'll take anything. <laughs> 10, to one. Really, you will? Because <laughs> if
0: that's true, I'll offer you a bunch of 10, to one bets every day. Uh, Kevin, tell us a little bit about how you got into this world what you do and uh kind of introduce yourself we you know we have seven listeners usually three to three to four of them don't know who our guests are when we start so we want to <laughs> cater to them
3: all right so uh after six years at the ringer uh, i just joined omaha and espn to do a digital show for them um i do a little bit of espn tv starting quite soon um as well uh before that i was with the wall street journal where i was the nfl columnist i also covered basketball for my first two years there um do a mixture of actually at the wsj it was a lot of like analytics heavy analysis kind of blending numbers with with anecdotes um and and kind of merging those two things at the ringer kind of the same deal wrote a handful of stories on just sort of the analytics boom in the nfl and getting perspective from front offices and coaches and all that stuff um and it's always been kind of Focused on even if it's personality stuff, it's focused on how teams win and lose games. That's always been my ethos, but uh, been able to do it. it. Was writing only at the Journal. Um, it was podcasting, video, and writing at the Ringer. Um, and now it's it's TV and and podcasting at at ESPN Omaha. So, um, it's been a really cool journey. It's it's been ninety five percent NFL, four percent college football, and then one percent. Uh, golf. I mean, I did, I did do the formula one show at the ringer as well, but I didn't really write about that. I didn't really report on it like that. Um, So it's just been uh, a pretty cool journey the last couple of years.
2: I want to say I'm a huge fan and your podcast with Robert Mays was like the only podcast I listened to during the football season, back when you guys were still together before the dream team got broken up. And (laughs) and I love your long form pieces as well. I think those are, I I find the whole process very interesting.
3: I appreciate that. I have no idea when the next time I'll write is, but, uh, it's like that was the one thing with coming over here. It's like I was like nobody really, I, like no one's asked me to write. No one's gonna ask me to write. So like I'll just start.
2: Yeah, but you get to hang out somewhere. with Peyton Manning probably right.
3: Yeah, we all hang out together in the Omaha house. Oh, me, it's amazing. the two Mannings. Um, I, I don't know, Mina. We're all there. We're all in one one big house in uh, in Denver.
0: So tell us a little bit about your process, because ultimately, you know, you, you're not born of an, I mean, it's an interesting process. You're you a writer, right? Like that's what you yeah. are to start with. And now with everything that's happened over the last, you know, five to 10 years in analytics and it being such an important part of covering sports, how do you go from being, you know, a pure writer to being sort of someone that understands analytics and incorporates that into what they do?
3: Yeah. So it's all the same. Um, it's all the same process. So Everything I started doing in writing, I now just do on podcasting and on video. Like, a great example is on this week's show, we had Channing Crowder on, who's an amazing talker. He played linebacker for the Dolphins. He does this huge podcast with, with Ryan Clark now. He's on the inside of the NFL. And... I'm sitting there and I just wanted to tell full, complete, like hilarious stories, which is the exact same thing I would do if I was writing at the Wall Street Journal. Like, that's what you want. Full anecdotes, right? So like I teed him up on defending the 07 Patriots. He's telling me this story about Brady and Moss smiling at each other. Cause they figured out the coverage on the field before the play. And he's talking about how he's in hell and like, it's that kind of thing. And so my, my process on this was, was always what, what do we have at the what what are your advantages right and so with the journal it was this is a weird thing to say but like we had a big travel budget uh because it was the journal and they didn't they they just didn't care about uh they would not they would not go short on news gathering uh funding and the other thing is like at the NFL locker rooms are open for an hour every day which is like astounding if you're credentialed and so what I would do a lot of the times is I would just go around like I would do the spend 20 minutes of what I needed to do. And then I'd go around to guys and just ask them random questions about like hey you know what's it like defending peyton manning what's it like defending andrew lock what's it like you know this is 2013 2014 2015 you know uh tell me a story about the time you went against michael strahan whatever and you just collect this stuff and you don't know when you're going to use it but you just you just collect this stuff and um the one thing about my job in particular is like get to be prepared for basically anything. So the more you have in your toolbox and it's like, Hey, you know, uh, Peyton Manning's won seven games in a row. And that's funny. Cause I just talked to uh, JJ Watt and he told me this crazy story. And so it was always about, it's always just the, the gathering of anecdotes information. Like it's, it's basically like it's IP frankly, right? Like you're just getting all this stuff and then you're building with it going forward. So that was always my process. And then, you know, the analytics part of it, like that, that stuff was, was always easy. Like, um, analytics people by and large want to want to talk about it they want to be um evangelists for the cause in in a lot of cases um and so even if it's off the record or if it's on background or whatever you normally get an understanding of that process and that's kind of the same thing where you say hey uh the eagle's you know, someone tells you two years two years earlier that the Eagles do this, this, and this. They win the Super Bowl. You get to throw in the story. The, oh, by the way, the Eagles have been doing this with their analytics department, or uh, the Vikings have been doing this with their draft evaluation. So it's just about it's honestly just news gathering, and it doesn't matter what the platform is. That's
2: so interesting. <laughs> I find it's it's like you're you're gathering. I mean, just like I gather data for my models, you gather data yeah. that you use. Um, so when you I guess, how do you pick what to write about or, or kind of what sort of segments you're going to do? I mean, you have all this in your head, but do you go in, like let's say you're traveling to Cincinnati for some game. Do you go in with this idea of what you want to write about or is it does it yeah. kind of come to you as a result of the game?
3: So great question. You mentioned Cincinnati. I literally have a perfect example of this. So I, I have like five or six ideas. Now I'll meet with whoever I need to meet with and then I'll figure out from there kind of a choose your adventure thing, right? So I go in expecting to do this story, because Brian Callahan, the the Bengals OC, had told me that they wanted Burrow and Peyton Manning mode, which meant like, remember how Manning was just the offensive coordinator and sometimes head coach of his teams? So they wanted Burrow to like do that. He would just basically go to the line, call the plays and go from there. That's two years ago. And so I was like, I'm going to do a story about that. Like, how is that progressing? And I get there and like, it's not particularly, has not particularly changed in two years, right? They're still on track for it, whatever. And so I'm like, it's like, the story is not going to be what I think it's going to be. And so in the process of talking to a couple of guys, today, they were talking about how Burrow got really good last year at beating cover two by just taking the easy option. And I was like, Oh, well, I'll just do a story on how Burrow just takes is like, has mastered the easy pass. That's it. And like, from once I pivoted there, every, my notebook was just filled. OC Zach Taylor, um, all, all the receivers, all they wanted to do is talk about it. The tight ends, the linemen, the position coaches, like, Yes, Joe Burrow is master of the easy pass, and so it's more of a feel thing. Um, it's not like a, oh, I'm gonna do, I'm I'm I have to do this or whatever. Like normally, my my story idea changes two or three times based on the information I'm I'm receiving.
2: I was so- like, wait, did I read this story? And then I was, I just googled. I, I remember your one on on his deep passing. Yeah, no, that's
3: the, that that was- literally it's the sequel because yeah. then they took this deep passing away, and then he they were like, oh, you know, it, he basically had to start checking down to. Samaji P. Ryan for
0: half the season last year. And he did it. That's why P. Ryan ended up looking so good and getting a, a deal in, in Denver, right? Hay- Hayden Hurst too, um, Hayden Hurst. So if you go back to then, just to bring this to modern day, do you have any feel for his struggles right now? Are they- Yeah, I do. Um, okay. Right, so, <laughs> no, no,
3: no. Like, honestly, this is going to make me sound way more connected than I am because I've actually talked to him. When he came off of his ACL, I talked to him because he was throwing a ton of practice interceptions and but there, it was a crisis. Remember? And the whole thing was Jamar chase. Couldn't, couldn't see the ball or whatever. And I was, it was, the whole thing was crazy. And so a burrow told me in that short conversation we had back then was when he was coming back, he, his vision is the best thing about him. That's he gets guys out into routes. He, he processes and he gets the ball where he needs to go. And That's why he's also comfortable taking hits, by the way, is that he just wants those, any blocker, he just wants to be running a route instead. Anyway, so he said that when he comes back, his eyes are not nearly as sharp as as they should be. And, you know, if you or I look at an NFL player, we see 21 people in front of us, and we don't really see the depth or whatever. And what he was basically describing was it takes a while for him to get that superpower back. And that's why... I feel like he started slow last year. He started slow that year. He started slow last year with the appendicitis thing, where he misses camp, and now he misses camp again. And he starts slow. Like he's a feel player. He's a vision player, and I think that takes a long time. He's not. He doesn't have the best physical tools in the world. He just knows what to do with the ball, and I think that that you need to get in a groove, you know, it's, it's like our golf games, right? Like you, you just need to like, remember your swing thoughts, all of that stuff. And I know this sounds crazy for such a high level athlete, but I really do believe he's a field player. So it's That's
0: interesting right. because this is like the classic thing that like Rufus would hear and want to look in the data and see if he could bear this out in the data, but go ahead, Rufus.
2: Well, I, I think what's really interesting here is that, I mean, think about as, as analysts, what, like what I'm doing, I'm, I'm looking at them. I'm trying to say, okay, why do teams win? What makes teams good? And I'm looking at metrics to do that. But if you take it a step further, it's like, why are these metrics happening? And you're kind of digging into that. Like, okay, he's struggling because his metrics are bad because of, you know, he his vision isn't what it was. Right. And find- right.
3: And, and, and it can come back. Like, that's the best thing. It's like, but like if his calf is, and this is something I about on my show this week, like I thought, they're going to win the Super Bowl this year because even with the the lack of training camp, because he'll be able to figure it out. But if his calf is still really hurt or if he reaggravated it, like that, totally screws with the timetable. And it's possible that he doesn't get to where he needs to be until freaking December, by which time they might have four wins. You know?
0: Yeah. So you mentioned analytics departments, and I think that one is really interesting, right? Because I think the you know, common person that understands analytics and then sees the decisions that happen, wonder uh, what's going on. And I'm going to bring a specific instance up to you right now. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to be able to guess what happened last week that I'm asking about, but it is Thursday night, um, the most analytically driven organization in my mind, at least on on on-field decisions last year, that I thought they were like a blackjack player picking up every edge they could at every time they could. They go up by 12 points with what four and a half minutes left to go, and rather than trying to go up by 14, they kick an extra point to go up by 13. What what's happening there?
3: Uh, I think that there are still no teams that do all do the analytics play every single time. We even saw that with Belichick, where Belichick was Mister Analytics for a long time, and it's almost like he's gotten more normal as he.
0: No, but I, the, I, I, I just totally disagree with you. I think that Belichick, especially over the last few years, has become incredibly conservative. And I'm a huge patriot Yeah, man. no, no, so no like, that's what I'm saying. It, we're,
3: we're, we're in agreement. I, he was Mr. Right. Analytics, and but, I think but, now but, but he's... Do you,
0: but do you think... you? I guess you're just saying that you think that Sirianni just got lazy or just decided no. to... I mean, like what... Yeah, like...
3: or there could be some weird-ass like reasoning for it where you want to instill confidence in somebody. I mean, there's always these stupid... These guys are able to justify all of their decisions by saying we wanted we wanted to instill confidence in X Y Z or so so and so we didn't feel good about that like they can always sort of work backwards on that stuff and so there's never been a team I know this sounds crazy but in the end this is kind of a, a no true Scotsman situation true analytics in the NFL has never been tried and I don't think it it will be tried in our lifetime like but there they- are still head coaches. Because you have to remember the head coaches now are still in their early forties and they still came up. Like you look at McVay and everybody's like, well, McVay is really, McVay was working for, you know, John Gruden in 2007 or Jay Gruden with the Florida Tuskers. Like they're still old school guys. It might be the two generations below the guys who are coming in now who in 15 years are actually doing analytics all the time. I I just felt, I just feel that the, the, the modern NFL is significantly less modern than even we think
2: true i will say yeah, though that they are we we are not we're never seeing the full picture of things and right. they they and and so we're we're making an assessment based on the data we have which is imperfect data and so there may be a reason but, 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 for some but, of these things so, but, that we don't know and that they don't want to actually say right
0: so i agree with you guys 100% on the margin right but this one to me and and kevin i 100% agree with you like the the true analytics like really optimal But I would say last year, the Eagles completely impressed me as a team that did be – they were very – they were the closest thing I've ever seen to it. And then for this decision, which is not – it's not on the margin, right? It's a pretty clear decision to go for two there at that point. Mm -hmm. There's no downside to not going for two. The only downside I could see is they are like, well, we only have so many good two-point plays and we don't want to show one in a situation that this – like – like I put on Twitter, like the, what's the Occam's razor answer to this. And I couldn't really come up with what it was. So I was just curious about, well, I,
4: there, there's right. people that I talked to that conspiracy theories about, about this it. and all this well, kind of stuff. I, there, there's so. a
3: couple things. So first of all, if I'm not mistaken, Doug Peterson has become more conservative as he's going on, because remember the Nick Foles Super Bowl year, he was going forward and forth down all the time. He's gotten a little more sure. conservative in Jacksonville and as his Philadelphia career went along. Is it possible? I'm just throwing this out there. I have no idea if it's true. Is it possible that those sort of fourth down decisions, two point conversion decisions, analytics decisions, are coming more from the front office and ownership? And as the coach gets more comfortable pushing back on it, they get more conservative. That's
2: that's just knowing
3: knowing knowing what I know about Howie and Jeffrey Lurie; they're very analytic driven, and it's possible the coach is less so.
2: That so is it
0: possible? Is it possible? I mean, I think if that's true, we will see a less analytically, analytically driven. Eagles team this year where things like that that are possible
2: you know well it'll be interesting to watch yeah. um go ahead Ruben. can I jump so speaking of analytics and like teams being more conservative I I thought the what the Cowboys did this offseason was interesting and some of the quotes you heard some of the stuff you saw in the draft room and on, uh yeah did hard knocks I don't know I saw some of these clips but <laughs> Um, wasn't hard knocks, right? They had, no, they had, they had like it a was,
3: it, like a the pick is in type. I forget what it's called. Yeah, it was like a draft. It was a draft hard knocks.
2: Where they were Can like you wait. guys tell me about this because I
0: wasn't privy to this inside baseball information.
2: Well, I think they basically they want as a organization and a team to be a lot more physical and to win in the trenches and to establish the run and to I mean they what they don't want their defense on the field as much. Um So like. There's the notion that they scored their their offense last year like scored too quickly and it made it hard on the defense and so they Mike had,
3: McCarthy's Mike McCarthy's quote was that uh, he didn't like Kellen Moore because Kellen quote tried to light up the scoreboard which is right. apparently a bad thing in his book
2: right but is there so after two games can we say is there something to essentially did, wait, being able pre- to win did you preface
0: you preface this
2: whole conversation with them being
0: smart analytically driven and then you <laughs> talked about toughness and not being on the field a long
2: time and all this kind of stuff so what what do you mean me. Yes, I was <laughs> saying. You I was this, saying. This,
0: you this I you mean, Brian, right,
2: right. Okay, this is where I was getting to. I was saying. I mean, they're in essence going against what we w- like. What I would say, analytics says, or I hate saying analytics yeah. says, but, but, my question is, is there something to that? I mean, if you think about the dominant like, superpowers in college football, they're generally not quarterback driven teams as much. They're Alabama and Georgia. They're teams that are, they out physical you Mm -hmm. is the NFL as the NFL becomes more like college in terms of play calling and offenses and everything. Is it becoming, I mean, this is a whole separate question. Is it becoming less of a quarterback league also? But I mean, you think about a team like the bills where they, they have so they have a high powered offense, but they have so much trouble on, on third and fourth and shorts and they have er, throughout the the last few years. So,
3: So yeah, so a couple things. A couple things on that. Number one, speaking of college, I was actually listening to an interview with a Georgia former player personnel guy, and he said that Dylan Raiola, who's the number one quarterback in the country, coming in this year in high school um they had to like basically go get kirby to go watch him kirby smart because he doesn't watch quarterbacks camps he only watches the line because that's all he or and and cornerbacks but he's like he will not look at the quarterbacks in a camp like that and, and i think the implication there is like that's not what wins games at the college level um funny story for you so after the nick Foles super bowl i was in philadelphia doing a thing on their analytics approach and I talked to Jeffrey Lurie about it and a, and a bunch of other people and a ton of of background sort of off the record conversations and just to say hey am I right on this am I wrong on this what's what's the real thing and talking about going forward on fourth down and all this stuff and and you know they're they have this really robust analytics department that Chip Kelly had kind of neutered and then they brought it back with with even more oomph and uh, somebody stopped me in the middle of, of me talking about all this stuff. And they said, I just need you to understand the reason that we won the Super Bowl is because of the offensive and defensive line and that everything else was extra. Everything else was a tiebreaker. But like offensive and defensive line is the reason we won the Super Bowl. And then everything else is a mixture of narrative and just like long-term process benefits and, and and advantages and i i i think about that all the time and like quarterbacks can help you in that in that regard but there has to be that that starting point and like even last year if you look at some of the data i think it was the, the shortest passes in the since the merger basically yards per catch was was under 11 for the first time i believe ever um or at least since 1933 or whatever and so we're seeing maybe the slight a uh, slight shift in how important a quarterback can be. I think you can get there in other ways easier if you don't have the elite, elite quarterback. Not everybody's going to have Patrick Mahomes, but you don't necessarily need that the way things are trending.
2: Yeah, it feels it feels. I mean, just this season after two games, that the, there's just so much parity in the league, and that the the quarterbacks just haven't been the difference makers. That I mean, I'm just thinking to betting props ten years ago and how much. I mean, and and even like second halves, and just how much like certain quarterbacks were huge, huge needle movers.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I just think there's other ways to get there for for a lot of reasons, and even like you know, you've seen teams beef up their receiving core and, in lieu of having an elite quarterback. Um, you've seen them try to play different style of ball. Like, I think there's there's a lot of different ways to to generate offense in the modern NFL. And like, I was looking at a stat and. Maybe it's sticky, maybe it's not, but I was just going through before the season and saw that something like the last six or seven Super Bowl winners have averaged like seven or eight yards per attempt. I forget what the threshold was, but there's a threshold in yards per attempt you have to have in order to win the Super Bowl. But it's not just Mahomes and those guys getting there. There's a bunch of guys there. Like the the damn Saints were there last year. Like there's a bunch of ways to generate offense in the NFL. Now and that's that's I think not lost on on the smartest coaches.
2: And by the way, I want to say that I don't. I mean, I just think there are few fewer needle movers now. Yeah, among NFL quarterbacks than there were maybe ten years ago. Yes, I agree.
3: Especially the beginning of the passing boom in like 2011, when it was just like and they were rewriting record books once every a month. year.
0: So how do you if we look at this? Evolution of the NFL, right? And it it, it's this cover two, and this, you know, for you know, not allowing these explosive plays and shorter passes. And, you know, we've gone through over the last few years this evolution from you know, passing is more efficient, Mm -hmm. then now passing gets taken away long passing, so it's shorter passing. What crystal ball, what's the next evolution based like what's the next adjustment that happens based on? you know, the short passing that's coming and yeah. and what what do things end up looking like?
3: I think you've seen it a little bit hinted at from some of the scheme guys that like more creative passing out of the backfield, you know, just like two two running back sets and shotgun had those guys running routes in the backfield. It also helps if you want to do max protect with the blocking. You have two running backs back there. You've seen a little bit of, of hinting at that could be the next schematic. Like thing.
0: McDaniel or something like that?
3: Yeah, and like going heavy, and passing out of it, which is—I mean, awesome Josh, Shannon. not Mike Josh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Josh. Um, and then like, yeah, exactly. Um, no, like Mike McDaniel stuff with the motion, and just like even like the Jalen Waddle tunnel screen he had yesterday, or yesterday Sunday, where Tyreek Kill was just distracting the entire defense it was a little out motion, and then they just give it a, to a normal tunnel screen with Jalen Waddle. Like short passing, that can that can be a deep pass. They can operate like a deep pass because of, of the way. Um, the offense to set up. So I think there's a lot. I mean, Mike, Medano, I think it's probably the best play caller in football right now, um, just as far as innovative schemes and all that stuff. And and I think league, it, the team will, the league will learn from him.
2: What about more laterals on offense? It's, it's funny how many lateral, how many, how often you see laterals on interception returns or fumble returns relative to offensive plays where you could actually have more play designs. I know it's more risky, but teams have run option offenses for a long time which I mean the, the
3: Patriots the Patriots almost them. got a first down on, with to a on a Mike Kazicki lateral on Sunday um coaches are way too risk averse for that way too risk averse and it kind of goes to what we were saying earlier about how these even the new school guys are are old souls um I, I I would be very surprised if anybody ever ran more than one design lateral in a game but it could be tried like the thing I don't I never understood guys and like I've heard quotes about it. Like Jimmy Johnson said 30 years ago that the one thing he realized was that coaches are, when they're, they start to lose, all they're doing is is trying to get their next job, right? Like they just want to, they, they, and that's why there's so much normalcy in the NFL. It's like, you don't embarrass yourself because if you embarrass yourself then you don't get to go be the quarterback's coach for your buddy the next time. But I've never understood why a team that's two and 10 or something like that just doesn't say, let's just do the wild. Let's stop punting.
2: The well, wildcat. Let's, cat. Start, well, let's do that. the
3: wildcat. Let's start doing laterals. Like, I mean, the dolphin. That dolphins team was, I think, 0 and two yeah. or 0 and one when they did that. And, Not and they were 0 com- and seven. But like, they yeah, were but, coming but, but, off
2: that awful season, right? Yeah. So they're like, we got to try something.
3: Exactly right. But like, I what I don't understand is like why there aren't more coaches who are like, I'm going to get fired. Let's just do the wackiest thing in the world and and just try it and go out on our own terms. There's there's almost it's, no going out on your own terms in the NFL.
0: It's life, though, right? That's the classic, yes. like, history will teach you it's better to fail, you know, conventionally than it is to succeed unconventionally. Right? I That's... think it's what
3: happened to Brandon Staley, by the way. Once he started, once he, he met some resistance, he became an an, aggra- an alarmingly normal coach.
0: Wait, who? But Do you think he was a good coach Brandon before Staley. then? Because you've been, oh, Staley, you've been certifiably... I Yeah, I hate yeah, hey, you- Brandon Staley. Uh, as a coach, yeah, so... as a coach.
3: I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, he was a very good defensive coordinator when he had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on and, and the way his, the way his defense worked, it was able to stop the run without devoting a bunch of people to it. But the hole in that theory is that when you have Aaron Donald, you could do all sorts of stuff and take credit for it and try to explain it away. However you want about scheme. Um, So I don't think, I don't think he was a good coach, but I do think he was more open to the idea of a Analytic approach, a process driven approach. I think at the beginning he was. Now I think he's just a normal bad football coach.
2: So, wait, having been in so many locker rooms and talked to and and just see the inner workings of so many organizations, do you have an opinion on the sort of CEOs versus the sort of boy genius play caller uh, type head coaches, i.e., like Mike Tomlin versus Mike McDaniel?
3: So, the advantage of the boy genius is that the boy genius will never get poached, so you don't have to worry about play calling continuity. Um, you see that with the Shanahan guys all the time. But when you're around Pittsburgh, like it's a different vibe, man. Like the, everything just seems geared towards winning, and so like I think that the 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 hardest the hardest thing for me is that it's really hard to pick a good CEO because guys can say I'm a good CEO, but you don't know until you've given them three years to have a proof of concept. The reason it's better. If you're looking for a shot in the arm like the dolphins were after Flores, the reason that's better is because, you know, at the bare minimum, you're going to get good play calls. And so that's why offensive coaches get hired now. That's why they're going to keep getting hired is there's just, it's just more of an advantage. It's really hard to I mean Pete Carroll didn't succeed in the NFL until his third NFL job um between the Jets, the Patriots, and the um and 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 the Seahawks. So like it's really it's really hard to say this guy is gonna win based on being a leader of men, putting a staff together, putting a program together. Like that's that's significantly harder. I mean that's like that's what Matt Patricia tried to do for God's sakes.
2: But how do you know a play caller is gonna evolve? Because they put right. the thing is all of that's on film. It's a copycat league and and, and... Those things can't get copied.
3: You don't. I mean, like look at Matt Nagy, who basically took Andy Reid's schemes and ran them into the ground and had nothing. Um or you know Chip I, Kelly. I Chip Kelly is exactly what I was about to say. Chip Kelly like came in, and set the world on fire. And even like Sean McVeigh, it took him a while, especially after the Super Bowl year. It felt like he wasn't innovating at all and he ended up doing it. But like not everybody can be Bill Belichick. And like Belichick is the best not just innovator, but like value finder I've ever seen from a scheme perspective and like the thing I've always talked about is he switched from a 3-4 defense to a 4-3 because he made the 4-3 so popular that now the nose tackles became too expensive and he said instead of riding this into the ground and trying to get the eighth best nose tackle in every draft I'm just going to literally change my defense around because it's more advantageous and like it's not just scheme, it's it's how you use your personnel too. And so like, how do you know somebody's gonna innovate? You have to guess basically. And like, if I was an owner, I'm sure there's a level of intellect that you would need to hear from um, in the interview and stuff. But really it's just educated guessing as far as who's gonna be able to to have that. Because I don't think anybody would have guessed that Chip Kelly would flatline in, in, in San Francisco or in year three in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean I generally speaking he's somewhat flatlining in college too right now like he's you you expected him to go back and and light that program on fire but with the talent but it he hasn't yet right
3: He lost a game a couple of years ago and he said I want to I want to get the 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 offense right but I believe he said something like if I could I would run like a wing T option offense just like spinning excuses afterwards and I'm just like why don't you like why don't like that 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 to me has been sort of the tragedy of Chip Kelly is like, he had his thing, he ran it, it had success. And then like, he's got Dante Moore, really good freshman quarterback. But like, I just felt like that was a guy who could push football to its absolute limits. And he hasn't really tried anything in, in years.
2: I think when you, I mean, when you're the underdog and you're trying to get to the top, like you're incentivized to do different things. And, but then once you're at the top, you're trying to just, protect what you have although exactly right he's well, not his, really his, top, but,
0: so his but, his impact on the nfl to me is is kind of interesting right because when the one thing i noticed as a as a patriots fan was that he made belichick start trying to play with more pace mm-hmm. and so i've always wondered like what is the what's the reasoning that we want to play with more pace is it to you know to 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 wear the defense out is it to keep the to light up the scoreboard <laughs> what it, what are the reasons? Like what what are what's the yeah. ultimate reason why playing with pace matters and, um, you know tempo and all that kind of sure cliche stuff.
3: So, I've asked Josh McDaniels about this. Um, and I asked him if it was similar to, like the no bunting thing in baseball, where it's like, okay, so if you have four tu- if you have four explosive touchdowns, you win the game mostly, right? And if you run. 15 more plays a game that gives you more opportunity to do it it doesn't allow defenses to um, adjust as much to see it as much Um, and even like when Channing Cotter was on an episode today he was talking about how about how defense is able to have this chess match with eight until there's eight seconds left on the play clock and all that stuff and like you remove all of that stuff and the offense has more of the advantage because the defense can't really look at you and I understand that defenses can't declare you know tip their hands or declare it or whatever so the offense would would be harmed a little bit but like overall you're you're looking at a huge advantage for the offense so I think it's a mixture of more plays give you more opportunities if you have somebody like Tom Brady you want more plays to have explosive downfield stuff and then um and then just the idea that 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 simplifying the offense is is putting the 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 defense on their heels especially when they're tired like defensive linemen get really freaking tired. And it's funny because I was going to bring this up earlier, but for me, there's two types of analytics in football. There's going forward on fourth down, and then there's the player tracking stuff, which has really changed the way a lot of teams view things. Um, And Which is probably a much
2: bigger difference maker, right?
3: So I'll give you an example. So like, this is not what we would think of as analytics. I wrote a story a couple of years ago. Somebody told me there was a coach, a head coach loves analytics. You wouldn't necessarily expect it. He started calling run plays to more often to the side of uh towards his own bench reason being is that player tracking data showed that no these big defensive tackles were not running a ton in the game but if you run everything to that side that would like in some cases double their output of running because they they have to go back and forth, back and forth. So especially if you do it on second down. So if you run to the bench on second down, they have to come off the field for third down, and you're making these guys who are 300 pounds run way more than they should. And I know that sounds small, but over the course this of this is game, amazing 300 pounds, right? Exactly. This is genius. And so like, genius. but like that is that analytics or is that just like we have this data now and we're going to use it? Like I, it, it's really interesting. So like I, I guess, I guess. It, the the overarching point is just like, there's just more data points now and we're going to see things we wouldn't necessarily expect
0: out of that. That That's 100% analytics. Mm-hmm. The yeah. problem with our world is that someone would say that that's not analytics, right? right? And at the end of the day, that is analytics. That's using data to make an optimal decision. And it's the crux of analytics, right? Analytics is not, to your point, it's not whether you go for it on fourth down all the time, right? That's That's not like... And half of the time, we know that there's that they these decisions that people claim are analytics when they fail are not analytically driven. They were just a bad decision, right? Or they were a bad result or whatever, right? So, mm-hmm. anyways, that's my diatribe. Rufus, go ahead.
2: No, and we focus that's on the, the things PSA that we around we analytics. focus on the things we can see, the analytics we can see, which is right. the fourth um, decision Rufus, making.
1: Okay.
0: Do you have um, a direction you want to take this in the last few minutes, or um, I, I have one, but I want to no. allow you to to go ahead.
2: I'm gonna let you go, Jeff, because I know you want to talk more about what's actually happening in the NFL.
0: Well, I mean, we have already, but what I was curious about more is just, because we do, I think two out of our seven listeners actually gamble on sports. So we're, we're we'd are love to sort of talk a little bit about, you know, you you mentioned before we started that you've thought about like, oh, could I take all this great information and, you know, gain an edge in, in gambling? Because theoretically, you know, the process that you talked about and the access that you have, um, to get information, right. And to get an information asymmetry is ultimately one of the easiest ways to win. Mm-hmm. Right. And so curious about like that, um, where, where, you know, where that's gone. I know you're not a, well, a big time gambler, I, so I'm not, I'm not, I don't, assuming, I'm so assuming it's
3: I, a- I, I've never placed NFL bet in my life because oh. so I've bet on college football quite a bit. And then I bet, I bet on golf, um, and co- some combat sports as well. Reason being. Is that I know how pissed off I get if I if I go if I lose a hundred bucks on in my pool because Xander Shoffley missed a, a putt, right? And if I have to the good news is I never have to talk to Andrew Xander Shoffley ever, right? But like if Bobby Wagner drops an interception that costs me it doesn't even matter how much it is, fifty bucks. I don't want them to have Bobby Wagner on my show two days later and I'm just stewing. I'm just stewing, you know? Yeah. And so, like, there's a lot of reasons I don't place bets in NFL games, but that's number one. It's just, like, I want to come into everything and talk to coaches, players, GMs, whoever, with a completely clear view of things. And I know that there's probably some, and I, I'll say one thing here in a second that I think is important, but I'm sure there's some edge to be gained, but I don't want to gain it. Having said that, I think like injury stuff is one thing, or maybe some scheme stuff for player props would be one thing. Like the, some of the worst people at predicting outcomes are football coaches, just awful. And it was funny because someone had told me just BSing. I I did not, I didn't bet on this game. I wouldn't from a journalistic standpoint, but somebody told me like LSU's coaches didn't think they were ready for Florida state. That somebody, somebody told me that just BSing again, just, just football gossip. And, uh, and so I, I was BS with somebody else afterwards a couple of days later. And I was like, Hey, you know, LSU coaches. And they are like, man, the amount of times somebody in football, they're like the amount of times I've heard that. And then that team ends up winning by 30 points because you're it's all guessing. You're all guessing on like, are, what is, what does, we're not ready mean? They hadn't played a game. They're sitting around on, on, on July 29th in training camp saying we don't like our right tackle. Well, Florida state may not have liked any other offensive linemen. Obviously it ended up being true that LSU wasn't ready, but like. Sometimes I think you can kind of get lost in your own process if you use the reporting. If if I used the reporting that I did to place bets, I'd actually probably end up uh, getting more misdirection than than helping. I think it, it was probably a different type of reporting, injury-based, scheme-based, all that stuff that would be more advantageous if somebody wanted to go down that path, which, again, I wouldn't.
2: Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard to mix the qualitative data to know how much to value it. And that's something I've had to deal with. Occasionally we've gotten, you know, I get some sort of nugget from somebody who knows the, I don't know, caddy of a player or something like that and about that player. And most of the time, um, I wish I hadn't learned about it because it, it has no, no impact at all. (laughs) Or they're
3: just like, Oh, so-and-so is locked in. And it's like, Oh, okay that's is that helping like, like how often is like oh you wait till you see these this guy and it's like oh okay
2: and, and for some guy it, it might make it might mean something but for another guy it right. might mean nothing and it's just without having that information it's it's really hard to gauge
3: you can say it reminds me during covid i was just putting over and over and over again all the time Me and too. I my putting was amazing and uh so i saw a tweet from i think it was patty harrington and I don't know why. I think a lot of people were doing this. So they asked Patty, like, how do you practice putting? And Patty said that he had had some sort of broken wrist situation in his career and that for like months, all he could do was putt, could not do a full golf swing. So he ends up just putting and putting, and putting. He thinks he's crushing it. Like, I'm so good at putting. And then his first tournament, he had his worst stroke gained putting performance of his career. And it's like, we you just never know on those sort of things where it's like, oh, this guy's in the lab. Like, how often do we hear like on July 5th, oh uh, this this NBA player has been working out with Hakeem Olajuwon, his post-up game is going to be awesome. And then you get to October and there's just nothing there. So it's always hard to parse the anecdotal side of it to me.
0: Well, that's why I think this whole um, Burrow thing is interesting, right? Because I think there was a a narrative that he wasn't ready going into this year or that he hadn't played much. And I think from the, the knowledge that you knew and even the data of what he's looked like at beginning of seasons, you would have said like, you know, just boiling this down to a pure bet that in, in week one, that the, the, you know, Browns were going to be a good play um, as an underdog against him. So obviously hindsight 2020, but I, 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 I'm very, I think, interested in the idea and, and, you know, under totally understand and why you don't want to do it, but the idea that, that one of the major last frontiers and ad- edges for sports betting is, is, is information. And because ultimately all the Rufus's of the world are doing the same type of analysis generally. And I know, I mean, Rufus does some interesting things in golf and whatnot, but
2: like but a lot of the like- analytics is being so commoditized. Right, mm-hmm. but you have to evolve just like Chip Kelly didn't evolve, like some people evolve, some people don't. And you have to continually evolve if you want to keep having an edge.
0: Yeah, there we go. Um, last question for me, Rufus, you can ask one is is of the O and two teams, is there anyone that you think that you know, we have to ask you the traditional football yeah, podcast interview question, which is like of the O and two teams, is there anyone that you think has a chance to make or which one would you bet on to make the playoffs?
3: I mean the Easy answer is the Bengals, right? But I'm so worried about that calf. Like, if if, if that sets him back, they're in real trouble. Um, I'm trying. Like, I honestly can't bring myself. And maybe this is why you teed me up on this. I cannot bring myself to rule out the Patriots. I just think as Mac Jones gets more comfortable in the offense, they still have a baseline of talent. They could have won the game on Sunday against a team I think is probably the AFC favorite right now. Um, I, I'm. I would not rule out them making a wildcard team what wildcard run, especially because the division looks way softer than we thought. Way softer.
2: And Bill yeah, Belichick has started slow a lot in the past.
3: I think Bill Belichick treats September like the new training camp.
2: Because you think about the
3: training camp. So I had um I sat down with Mike Vrabel right before I left. So this was mid-August. And it's talking about the first training camp of his Patriots career where they won the Super Bowl. And he was like, There we're talking about how hard those training camps were. And he was like, There were two starters. I didn't know this. There were two starting linemen on the first Patriots Super Bowl team who just retired in training camp. They were just like, I we can't do this. Like we can't, this is too hard. We're retiring. And like that just doesn't happen anymore. And so like I think it's like 10 straight two a days they used to have there were no rules about um how many days off you had to have. Like you could get you could just get so many more reps back then. And like I think the old if you look at it, the older school guys, Pete Carroll during the Legion of Boom days, they'd always have these dumbass September losses. The lose of the Chargers or the Rams or whatever. Um, Bill Belichick's had some weird September stuff. Like, I think those old school guys are kind of like, you know what? We just got to get our football in September. We know we'll be good not November and December.
0: So th- when I name drop, um, was at ESPN, I talked to Teddy Bruschi about this and he said that the first four games of the season, literally he just didn't care. He's just experimenting. He's doing things. He's trying things. He's trying lineups. He's trying schemes and he's just experimenting. And so, um, yeah, I did tee you up a little bit. I was hoping for some confirmation bias that there's still a reason for me to root for the Patriots and hope they beat the jets this week. Um, but yeah, Rufus, you got anything else for? Well, Kevin? I have
2: to. I have to now talk about when I got to talk when I talked with Herm Edwards in the green room for like ten minutes, and he like it all went over my head. It was so he was breaking down schemes. I was like, why can't you do this on air? But obviously, because I I would love to to hear that and see that. But obviously, you know, you have to dumb it down for the the average fan. But I I will ask you. Okay, one uh, last question. Do you think kind of a follow up? on the, on the whole coaching thing and and having less time in training camp. Do you think that having less preparation time in general is makes coaching more or less important?
3: Makes scheme more important, I think, and having an identity and like, even like everybody's talking about Dan Campbell, and I think it's kind of a distraction, like, oh, he's a culture fit or whatever. Like I don't I don't believe in culture fit. I don't believe in, oh, this is the best story or whatever. But I, the Lions have an identity and they stick with it and they have a bunch of badasses in the offensive line and they go from there, right? And so I think that 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 part is important is kind of knowing who you are. Um, but I think that it's a great question. I think that understanding how to get your guys ready. And giving, like, effort. this is not thing Channing Crowder said uh, this week, but he was just like, if you need motivation at the NFL level, like, you've already lost. It's over. And at the college level, like, that Kirby Smart thing, I don't know if you guys saw it. Did you guys see the Kirby Smart thing today? The halftime thing? So they had a, a rough South Carolina first half. And I guess it leaked at halftime, not leaked. It was on the SEC Network. They were doing some documentary. He said, you guys are going to go out and have six possessions, and you're going to score four times in the second half. And then they're going to score max one time. And that was his motivational speech. And they had six possessions and they scored three touchdowns and they missed a short field goal in the fourth one. So like exactly what he was saying. Right. But like the college guys need that stuff. The pro guys don't. And so um, I think the effort is player driven. I think getting yourself in shape is player driven more so than it used to be. Certainly when you consider these year round training things. Um, So I think it comes down to scheme, roster management and. Uh, how you sort of manage the egos, personnel, like that—that that kind of stuff. Um, ma- just man management. Um, I think that that part is is probably more important because you don't have a lot of time to deal with drama or bad players or out of condition guys. Um, you really just got to keep it moving.
2: Wait, what? What percentage is fourth down decision making? Uh, two point conversions, ninety-eight nine,
3: percent. Okay, That's That's just it. making yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, two percent. Uh, quarterback yeah
0: yeah. kevin thanks so much for joining us um where can people see your new work
3: so um espn nfl youtube page if you want to watch your 40 minute episodes um otherwise the show is called this is football uh it's a joint production of omaha and espn it's available wherever you get your pods this is football with kevin clark i think is is what you would search uh channing crowder this week uh, last week we had Dan Marino, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Week before that, Eli Manning, and Robert Griffin III. It's a really interesting. Like those guys are are really good at talking ball, and especially like the Rob Robert Griffin III discussions, all that stuff. Like those guys go pretty deep. So check it out there. It's been a really cool journey so far, and I'm I'm looking forward to to, to more episodes.
0: We are also looking forward to more episodes. So thank you for joining us, um, and we'll uh, we'll look forward to hearing you talk ball. Awesome. Thanks, guys. So that was our interview with Kevin Clark. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Rufus, that we talked about there and I kind of glossed over. And I don't know if you were following this game. Um, this the Philly game that I was alluding to, where, oh where
2: Syriani no, conversions it, like this, this is, you know.
0: It's not Rufus, it's this not, is not wired, it's, it's tired. It's it's not why. I guess what I'm saying is you you just think that it was just a lazy decision they just decided not to go for. It. I'm just I don't curious know what the
2: Maybe he, maybe, um, they, maybe he hadn't thought about it. Right. And, and it was just like, you know, sometimes people mess up and aren't thinking about those things. I don't know.
0: So you don't believe in any, there's like some smart people that I've talked to in the Twitter gambling community that have like conspiracy theories about this in terms of there was a lot of incentive for that game to not end at seven and um to end at six instead. So Based they believe the, the they, the money they that they
2: believe it was rigged because of the point spread. Not,
0: not, not. Uh, uh, essentially, that was the illusion, right? The and so that this idea, the idea that like, is there, you know, and obviously, like, if you're doing Occam's razor, which is my belief, there's a lot of things that you, that you fall on before you get to this as an explanation, right? So, so, but it, it, um, you know, like uh, I think Seth Byrne said something about you know, him wanting to bet six and a half on that last drive and like being able to like not being able to get down anywhere, knowing that like there was someone out there that believed something weird was going on. Um, so anyways, I, I mean, I that's, that was just Twitter. And so ultimately like, um, you don't, you don't believe in any of this.
2: No, I didn't even actually watch that game but I will say, did you see the Rams kick a field goal with four seconds left and time expired during that kick to, to lose by seven instead of 10?
0: Yeah. But Uh. I, I was watching that game live and I had the Niners in the second half minus four. So I was like, obviously glad they didn't try a Hail Mary. and, And for that, um, but I don't, I don't think to me that is much less like it's it's there's to me there's a reasonable his explanation to me seems reasonable it is well was it, because ultimately
2: explanation it was it was it yeah, points, his explanation it was breaker?
0: like that is is no his explanation was that he had in his mind that they needed two scores right so he was going to try like they in his mind it was short pass you know kick the field goal and then at least we still have a chance to win right it was it, it, but then obviously what happened is the play ended up taking longer than he thought. And now there was only four seconds and he didn't think that like the idea of, of having Stafford throw a Hail Mary with all the injury potential that could happen. There was a great thing.
2: So just kick the field. Well, goal why even throw point. a Hail so, Mary anyway, in that case, because why not just take a knee and say the game, because you've, you can't win the game at that point. And so maybe the, the thought is that, you know, like it's like the sixth tiebreaker, but, but score differential on the season. You, you want to help. Well, your and, I mean, season, and that then... wasn't
0: his explanation. And the other the other thing is that, like, maybe he just took obviously plus seven and a half. Well, you know, the other thing is that obviously, like, I thought, well, maybe it there are four seconds or something like I don't know how long a field goal. Yeah, maybe, takes. maybe like, the maybe kicker could
2: kick a fastball.
0: Right. Maybe he could go like, through with like, he should is, have lined up there's, further. There's
2: no, he shouldn't have lined up as far back as he normally does. He should have just done like a one step kick. And I don't know.
0: We'll all agree that there's zero chance that they win that game if they throw a Hail Mary.
2: Right. There's a zero chance regardless. Irregardless. Irregardless.
0: Well, okay, fine. So I'm much do about nothing on that. I mean, the Uh, the
2: thought would be maybe maybe if the clock operator's pretty quick or slow to start, you know, that you get one second left and then you get some sort of – you kick it down in the end zone and and high and somehow you recover it or it's fumbled or something, right? That's that's the only chance. But that would be the – most unlikely ending I've ever seen in any sport.
0: So just, just, I know you don't want to hear about this, but like I I was very shocked by the decision by Sirianni because I think even though I don't like the Eagles and I don't like Sirianni, I was very, very impressed last year with how optimal they ran things like they were always making very optimal decisions. Hey, have you, did you see um a bunch of the teams going for two Now when they're up by nine, when they score a touchdown, go up by nine to go up by 11 instead of kicking the extra point to go up by 10. What do you think the reason is for that, that Jeff? Just to get to, you know, like the, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess it's to get, I, I, I would assume that there's some math behind it, but I saw it in like two games. I think McCarthy did it. And then I forgot who else did it. Someone else did it. Love to hear an explanation there. I'm sure there's analytics behind it, I believe it, because you, you said that cowboys are incredibly analytics-driven. So,
2: was um,
0: Okay, it's now time for the Hull Tactical uh, Timing the Market segment. This segment is brought to you by Hull Tactical, and it's all about understanding how to time the market like Hull Tactical does with their ETF, which leverages the best of uh, high-frequency trading with the idea of an ETF exposed to investors. So Rufus... Let's talk a little bit about betting second halves.
2: So betting second halves it, it is very, very relevant here. Um, it is all about speed. And what happens is generally for, for NFL and college football, there's one offshore sports book, bet Chris, that is the first to put up second halves and everybody else kind of waits and sees where those get bet. And so there's opportunities. If you can bet there at these opening prices, there's some opportunities However, then you're going to be moving the market at a bunch of other sports books, potentially, as they wait until the line is kind of settled to copy. But these lines move so quickly, Jeff, and I know you're a second half better. And, and so um, what are the mistakes that, that people make? Chasing probably
0: would be my guess.
2: Right. You can like a play at over 27 and it moves to over 27 and a half. And you're like, this is marginal. And that over 27 was a good bet. But. If you miss it, you missed it. It's gone so much it's 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 all about speed and and you can't I mean, don't chase the worst price
0: and your your records show that that, that does this matter this pricing matter more in second half than in pregames?
2: I guess would be the question does pricing matter more
0: like this this incremental change, right? Does it matter more in second halves than normal betting or well,
2: a half a point is typically going to be worth more. but lines are adjusting um differing amounts also so i mean you will see that there are some numbers that are incredibly sticky like a 20, like 27 for example is worth quite a lot yeah. whereas 25 is not worth very much for a second half total and so you you yeah. you will see a game move up from 24 and a half to 26 and a half and it's not a, as much of a line move as moving from you know 26 and a half to 27 and a half is a huge move
0: yeah so i guess yeah. the lesson is if the number's not there for you where, you know, where it is, don't chase it. Even if it was somewhere where it was before. Kind and of I, like I think this is a good
2: bias. I think this is a good lesson. I think that a lot of people are the first bets they place are good or winning bets, but they'll take a second bet. Maybe that's, or, or if they miss that first bet, they will take uh, a worse price. And those bets are the bets that a lot of times are not going to end up winning.
0: Right. Okay.
2: We got to give our picks of the week. You want to give some picks? sure let's uh do you want to pull up i need to pull up my unabated did you who did you have last week do you remember i don't remember i hope i didn't have the patriots i might have though it feels like i had the patriots
0: i don't think i don't know
2: we'll have to go back and listen to find out i think you have maybe someone that won i hope i took tampa i think i took the steelers hopefully you know maybe we should write these down in the future that might be smart jeff i'm gonna Uh... let you go first who do you like
0: I'm gonna take the Tennessee Titans plus the three.
2: That's moved down, huh?
0: What was it before? Plus four.
2: Hmm. And now it's, did it's someone actually I know. Two did and some, half did someone a someone I know named
0: Rufus. Did someone I know named Rufus Peabody bet it?
2: No. Nope. How about I'm another Rufus Peabody? Another Rufus Peabody? Yeah, Look it could that.
0: be another Rufus Peabody.
2: It's true. There there's there's not a lot. So, what's interesting, Jeff, is last week I showed a lot of big differences from the market. Like, I had the Tampa game at like Tampa minus seven and a half. And, you know, I got there's people making fun of me on Twitter for my rating of the Bucks. Um, but you like that? I like that. Which one? The Sorry? Bucks. You like the Bucks again this week? Oh, no. I was, I was, what I was getting to is the fact that this week there's very few edges like basically all my numbers are within two points of the market except one game and that does happen to be the tampa game so based on that um and i guess minnesota a little bit if if that game is still where it was nope never mind that moved not anymore and maybe i should be betting like these games on monday morning because i the lines are moving towards massey peabody somehow who knew um i'm gonna take Tampa, yeah, it is a coincidence. But yeah, I'll take Tampa plus four and a half.
0: You can get five. I'm on Chris right now. You can get five. Not that's going to matter. But Yeah,
2: I'm going to... You know what? I'm going to say four and a half, though, because I want to give the people something more widely available. And Mm -hmm. also, we're recording this Wednesday. It's 1 p.m. Eastern time. I don't know where this is going to be when we release on Thursday morning. So, yeah, I make the line... Philadelphia minus two. Okay,
0: there you go. Well, so there are your two plays. Uh, anything else before we uh, usher in Petra Bakasova, CEO of Hull Tactical, to spew some knowledge out there?
2: No, I'm. You know, I have internet at my place now, so I'm. I'm ready to go.
0: All right. Well, um, listen for the interview with Petra, and then we'll talk to you guys all again next week. Do you gamble at all, personally?
4: Uh, Personally, I don't. I, I think my experience with Hull Tactical has really humbled me, in a sense, knowing just how much work and how much skill it takes to be an advantaged player. So if I feel like I don't have an advantage in a space, I do not gamble in it. And I'm sure this applies to all of your listeners, whether they're building models for golf or football or, you know, blackjack. I I, I think it takes so much work and so much domain-specific knowledge to, to be able to gain an advantage. There's a lot of smart people out there.
0: Yeah, it's funny because if you look up the technical definition of the word gamble, it literally means that you're entering into a transaction where you don't believe you have an advantage. So the theoretically, advantage players aren't necessarily gambling by the very definition of the word. Um, you talked about advantage players, which I love because you know, that is a great topic of conversation that we talk about. Um what do you like when you look at someone like Blair, who's an acknowledged advantage player, and I'm sure you've met other advantage players through him? Are, are there things that you see in them that you say, God, I wish I had that skill or God, I wish I'm, uh, God, I'm glad I don't have that skill. Are, are there any examples of that?
4: So one example that it it's never going to matter how much I try or how little Blair tries is, I think Jeff, you would know this as well from your blackjack days, you have to be extremely accurate and extremely fast at like algebraic operations and really quick in solving these simple statistical problems uh and and that's a skill that Blair has he can you know in his head uh he can, he can do math that i i just couldn't i think i write prettier code than he does but i'll never beat him at mental algebra
0: it's I, I get that. And and again, like, I think I told this story about when I got hired at O'Connor Associates, and they were just trying to see if you could do relatively simple math quickly and mm-hmm. on the spot, because some of it is not, some of it is literally just the on the spot piece that they they kind of want to know. And that ability to kind of do that is is definitely... I don't know if it's 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 learned or if it's innate but like who knows body
1: bankings clutching all the numbers in a simulated system to break down the data analytically driven media coverage to sports gambling is pathetic the bottom line is balled down it seems like they don't get it puppe teas about to end just running off of lead none of it's organic it all sounds synthetic as this
2: episode of death the process is brought to you by Hull Tactical. the hosts of this podcast are not investors with HdaA and we're not directly compensated for their views however HdaA sponsored this podcast Podcast. The hosts and sponsors share a conflict of interest because the sponsor paid a one time cash compensation for the content of the podcast, and the hosts may be incentivized to endorse or promote HTAA's investment management services. Massey Peabody look we'll, we'll, we'll,
1: we'll for the edge. Analytically driven. Crunching all the numbers.